young woman brings uh, her brand new fiance home to the first time to meet mom and dad. And so after dinner, uh, the, the mom says to the husband, to the dad, go, take him into the living room. Go talk to him. See what he's like, right? So the father takes the young man, the, the fiance, into the living room, and they start chatting. And the, the dad starts out. He says, so just, I don't know, tell me a little bit about yourself. Tell me, how are you going to support my daughter? And the young man's like, well, I don't really know yet, uh, but I'm sure God will provide. And so right away, the dad's a little concerned about this, and he, he decides to ask a follow-up question. He says, well, just talk to me about your work opportunities and what you're doing. And I mean, how are you going to pay for a house? How are you going to pay for an apartment? And the young man, the fiance, goes, well, I, I don't really know, but I'm sure God will provide. And so the dad decides to ask one more question. He goes, well, what, I mean, I, what happens when the kids come along? My grandkids, your kid, what, how are you going to provide for the grandkids, for the kids? And, and the young man again, the fiance is like, I, I really don't know, but I'm sure, I'm certain that God will provide. Well, the dad's done with this by now. He just he gets up and he's like, okay, whatever. He heads back into the kitchen. And mom's like, how did it go? What is he like? And the dad's like, well, I got good news and I got bad news. The bad news, he don't have a clue. He don't have a plan. The good news is, apparently he thinks I'm God. And so anyway, so <laughs> that's how it works a lot of times. But my guess is that many of you showed up today, huh? all of us, needing, wanting God to provide us with something. Wisdom, peace, encouragement, health, finances. We all showed up needing God to give us, provide us with something. Today, as we continue to make our way through the life of Elijah, and we're going through 1 Kings, we're going to look at a story where God provides for Elijah and, and superimpose it onto us in terms of how does God provide for us? What does he do to us to help us out? If you don't have your Bibles, I want to encourage you to turn to 1 first, first Kings 17, grab the study guide as we jump in. We're going to pick up at the beginning of 17 as a review to catch us up where we've been just real quickly. Here's what we read. Elijah said to King Ahab, as the Lord, the God of Israel lives and I serve, there will be neither dew nor rain in the next few years except at my word. Ahab has followed idolatry. He has led his people into the worship of a pagan god called Baal. He's built a temple for him. And so essentially, God through Elijah says to him, listen, the consequence of idolatry is no rain, which means no crops, which means no income for you. That's the consequence. The word of the Lord then came to Elijah. Right? God speaks to Elijah. He says, I need you to leave here, and I need you to hide in Kareth Rabin. So uh, the king and, and the queen, the, you know, initially they go, yeah, this prophet, you know, he don't know what he's talking about. But after month one, month two, month three, they start getting ticked off. And in fact, Jezebel wants to kill the prophet. So God anticipates this and says, okay, before, before they chop your head off, I need you to go to the wilderness, the Kareth Rabin, hide there. How's he going to be provided for? Well, God adds... And he says, you will drink from the brook, and I have directed the ravens to supply you with food there. Sometimes later, the brook dried up, which makes sense, right? Because there'd been no rain in the land for two years. Then the word of the Lord came again to Elijah, and he said, I want you now to go to the city of Zarephath in the region of Sidon. I want you to stay there. I have directed a widow to supply you with food. Sometimes people talk about this story as the story of the widow of Zarephath. So we're going to be looking at her. But initially, as we get going, as we're going to take into context what is happening in particular in this story, I want to get right to the, the, the main, main subject. It, look at your study guide. We're going to start by talking about what happens if you're struggling financially. What do I do? Let me give you real quickly four or five points before we get into the real meat. 
The, the first is you have to figure out if there's a moral component to what's going on. So this is very important. Don't assume that just because someone is rich that God uh, is pleased with them and God is rewarding them. Likewise, don't assume that just because someone is poorer that, that God is unhappy with them and or God is punishing them. That is not how it works. Does that make sense? However, sometimes the problems we get ourselves into is because we messed up or someone else close to us did. In this case, Elijah did nothing wrong. However, someone close to him or who has influence, uh, Ahab, did. And because of Ahab's disobedience, it is now like a domino effect having an impact on other people. Kind of like Jonah on the boat. The sailors didn't do anything wrong, but they all suffered. In this case, Elijah didn't do anything wrong, but everyone in the land suffered. In some cases, your problems are sometimes because I screwed up or someone else close to you messed up and it's now having an impact on you. So just identify, is there a moral component to the problem? Number two, creatively learn to live on less. First Kings 16, Elijah is eating out at Outback Steakhouse, P.F. Chang's. In chapter 17, he starts to eat uh, water and spam. That's what happens. And if you are struggling financially, you have to make the adjustment. You have to learn to live on less. You have to creatively figure out how to cut some bills. So maybe instead of 700 cable TV channels, maybe you should cut that back a little bit. Maybe you shouldn't eat out as much. You realize how much it costs to eat out? I love to eat out. Who doesn't? But maybe instead of three times a week, you've got to take it down to once or maybe not at all for a while. Maybe you shouldn't go to the theater every weekend. You've got to wait till it shows up on Redbox. Guys, maybe you shouldn't golf as much. Or if you do golf, instead of riding on a cart, you should walk. Ladies, maybe you shouldn't go to the nail salon every month, right? Oh, sorry. It sounds like the Holy Spirit's working on some of you. I will (laughs) delete that for the next message. Guys, do not tell me you don't have expenses you can't shave. The issue is you don't want to. But in in the midst of financial struggle, that's not the time to splurge. That's all I'm saying. Figure it out. Be creative. Number three, trust that God is up to something. I need you to turn to the person next to you with a little bit of attitude. Here's what I need you to say. It's not all about you. Go ahead and tell them real quick. Oh, my goodness. We could end it right there. Let's just all go home. You know what? We live in our own little bubble, and sometimes we make life all about ourselves. It is not. Sometimes God is, something, God is up to something outside of yourself. In this case, he's going to stretch Elijah's uh, uh, faith in a moment. But it's all about this woman that lives in the town of Zarephath that God is trying to reach. And God is going to allow Elijah to go through some struggles in order to work in her life. You do realize that people outside of here are looking at you, right? They're looking at me. They're, They're seeing how we live. They want to know, basically, is the book, is the God of the Bible true and real? Have you noticed it's so easy to live life happy, live life God is good, God is great, praise Jesus when things are going well, when you're, not, when you're healthy, when you're successful, when you're financially do- doing well, but how about when you get an illness? How about when, when you lose your job? How about when you go through an unfair divorce? Much harder then. But I want to remind you, people are still watching you. Do you realize that what you and I do, both in the high and the great moments in life and in the low moments, to some extent will determine what other people think about the God that we worship. 
And so this is God speaking up to Elijah, and he goes, oh, no, I get it. I get it that life's been tough over the last two years, and I just need you to understand that how you respond to this situation is going to have an impact on this widow in this town of Zarephath. Just understand life's not all about you, and God does not waste any opportunity to try and help other people take their next step closer to Jesus. Just know that. Third, or, or fourth, um, is look for unusual out-of-the-box provision. I'm not going to review it, but last week, so interesting about ravens. Unclean birds, they're basically vultures, and they don't feed their young, and God yet uses them to feed and take care of Elijah. It, then he uses a very unusual situation in person in this text this morning that we're going to look at. But if you're, if you're struggling financially, look around. Look around, because God sometimes will give you unusual, out-of-the-box ways to provide for you. The last way is you need to expect that you're going to have to put in some hard work and maybe make some big changes financially. What's interesting to me is that when, God, when the brook runs dry, there's no food, there's no water, I want you to travel to Zarephath. In the back of your Bibles, we hardly ever look at it, there's maps. They're there for a reason. In this case, it helps. You want to know how far uh, Zarephath is from the, uh, the, 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 the ravine that he was in? It's 100 miles. Walking. That's like the equivalent of saying, get in your car and drive to the East Coast tomorrow hard work and all, just let's just be honest when we struggle financially when we may need to make make some huge changes and put a lot of hard work in to change what we're going through okay let me tell you one of the greatest financial lessons some of us have to learn we're going to put it on the screen right here here it is turn to the person next to you and say act your wage go ahead and tell them act your wage you know it's interesting my family, we are in a situation right now where my wife and my two daughters, they're all looking for a vehicle. We're in, my wife is driving a Honda Odyssey van we've had for a long time that has 220 plus, uh, plus thousand miles on it. That's how, we, that's how we roll. We get pretty nice cars and then we run that sucker into the ground. It still goes pretty good, but we've already said the next kind of major problem with it, we're not going to fix it. It's not worth it. It's time to look for a car. So we're, Sandy's looking right? My daughter, Jessica, graduated from college a year ago. She, she's got a, a pretty decent job. The car she has, you know, LA and commute and everything, she needs something a little bit better. So she's kind of looking for a mid, mid-level compact kind of car, a little bit newer, right? My daughter, Julia, sophomore in high school, right? And uh, so she's two months away from getting her permit. I don't know how you are with your kids, but we have to drive my daughter to school in Walnut Creek, we're like, you're going to start driving even without a permit. You just get going and get you a car, right? I am sick and tired of driving around. So we're looking for a car from her. But here's what I want you to understand. What Sandy gets will be vastly different than what Jessica gets. Because we are at different stages of life. And what Jessica, my college graduate, gets will be vastly different then what Julia gets. The, the other day, we're at CarMax looking at different things for Jessica, the older, the, the older daughter. And she's, she's looking at some other, you know, mid-level kind of cars. And Julia's walking around the lot. You know, she's like, well, how about this one? How about this one? And then she got into one. She goes, this is it. She climbed in a Ford Mustang. <laughs> and I said, Julia, say it with me. Chevy Cavalier. Go ahead and say that. Chevy Cavalier. <laughs> 
the lesson we have to learn in our family is the lesson we all have to learn. You are going to get in a world of trouble if you start trying to keep up with the people in front of you, behind you, next to you financially. Have the maturity to act your wage. You know what? Five years from now, ten years from now, the car that you can afford then may be completely different. But today, live within your means. Does that make sense? The rest of the time, I want to show you specifically how God provides for Elijah. He provides for him in three ways. Number one, he provides through the word of God. Last week, we looked at this. It was very important to understand that God speaks to Elijah in verse 2. God speaks to Elijah in verse 8. But verse 2, while guaranteed, verse 8 is conditional. God is speaking to some of us, guiding us, leading us, but whether he speaks to you again next month or next year is based upon whether you engage with verse 5. You see it on the screen, whether you actually obey. So the conclusion of what we learned last week was if you don't obey God today, don't be surprised if he doesn't guide you tomorrow. It's just that simple. It's so important to remember that. I want to give you some new things about God's word this week that I think are interesting. This is not in your study guide, but let me give you four or five ways, four or five things that God's word is meant to do for you and me. Number one, God's word is meant to teach you, teach you about finances and about marriage and about stress and about just life in general. It's meant to stretch you. Have you noticed that God never leaves you comfortable? The minute you've grown in your maturity, he stretches you some more. He's not trying to snap you, but he is trying to stretch you. He's trying to make you into a better you, and he's going to do it through his word. He's trying to guide you. Go this way. Don't go that way. Back up. He's trying to guide you through life situations. Number four, he's trying to save you. That's kind of a big deal. He doesn't want just to focus on this life, but on the next life, which is vastly more important. And sometimes, even in the context of trying to provide for you, he may not give you that car you really need or that job you really need or those funds you really need, but he is going to encourage you. He's going to encourage you. The word of the Lord, just like Elijah, can come and will come to you. Now, how does that happen? I hope, I hope that you're picking this book up on a daily basis. You've heard my encouragement before. Two chapters a day. That's going to take you about 12 minutes. Two chapters a day. And watch as you start doing that and you get into that habit. You're going to start hearing from God, I promise you. The word of the, God, uh, of the Lord can come as you read God's word on a daily basis. The word of the Lord can come to you at youth group. If you're, if you're a teenager, we want you at youth group on Wednesday nights. It's awesome. Go to youth group. The word of the Lord can come to you at midweek Bible study. The word of the Lord can come to you on one-on-one mentoring. The word of the Lord hopefully is coming to you on Sunday morning when the pastor delivers his sermon. All these different ways that God can speak to you and you can hear God's word. Speaking of sermons, I, I'm just curious, just by a show of hands, how many of you have been at Bay Hills for at least 18 years? Can I see your hands? Put them up. Not that many, 18 years, okay? So just real quick, um, those of you, you probably won't remember, but 18 years ago, I did a series on Elijah. It's much, much shorter, but I preached on Elijah for about four or five weeks. And so one of the things I've been doing during this series is I go back to the old file. I go back and see what I did back then and see, you know, okay, this I could use. I got to need a new story here and so on and so forth. So last week, As I did the beginning of chapter 17, I looked at that file, I pulled it out, I started to read through the notes, and I looked at it and I thought, this is horrible. How did people listen to this 17 years ago? So Norma, I just apologize for what happened 17 years ago, and you raise your hand. I I don't know how I put you through that, right? You know, I actually got thinking after I concluded that, what happens if 17 years from today we conclude the same thing about this morning? Well, it sucks for you. I'm doing the best I can. I'm just going on. Guys, 
There's so many ways that God's word is trying to get to you. So many ways that he's trying to speak to you. Uh, in the context of God providing for you, here's, I want to remind you what Jesus says in the Gospels. He says, man will not live by bread alone. See, he knows you need physical nourishment. He knows that. He knows you need funds to clothe yourself and drive yourself around and feed yourself. He knows that. You need physical nourishment. But you know what you need more than physical nourishment? You need spiritual nourishment. God will, uh, man will not live on bread alone, but also, and most importantly, through the word, through the bread of life. Speaking of bread, it's interesting to me. We have this little deal with Panera where, you know, they, after like 24 hours or 48 hours, they don't like to sell their product. And so they give it to us. We got loaves of bread in the back there. Loaves of bread that they give us. It's still very good. And it's interesting to me because I'm, I'm standing in the back before church starts. And I see you guys when you walk in. And it is fascinating to me. So some of you will walk in, and even though the worship is going on, you will make a beeline to that bread. You'll start squeezing it and smelling it, you know. You'll stuff a couple extra. You just love your bread. I saw some of you sitting this morning with your loaves of bread right here. I think it's great. As long as you remember how this nourishes you. So important. Do you need God's provision? If you're not engaging in this book on a consistent basis, that's one of the reasons maybe you're not getting the provision. Engage with this book. Second of all is God is going to provide to you through the help of others. There are two very interesting details in this story that are surprising to me. I've given you a map that indicates the key locations of what's going on here. So what you have, Tishbe, bottom right, is where Elijah is from. That's his hometown. Then he travels to Samaria to confront the king. That's where the palace is. Then God says, the king and the queen are trying to kill you. I want you to go to the Kareth Brook, okay? And then in the section that we just read, he says, oh my goodness, there's no more water. I now need you to travel to Zarephath to be fed and to get water. Now, just real quick, notice, he needs water, right? You see that big blue thing that he's going to walk by? You see the Lake of Galilee? It's full of what? Water. So right away, something should go up and go, what's going on here? What's happening here? Two details, the place and, and the person. Zarephath and the widow. Let me show you. Let's put the next slide up there. I want to show you in the context of geography. At the time, Jerusalem was, the, was where God was most present, most active. His work could be more clearly seen. It's not pictured on the map. It's in Judah. It's in the south. Um, we, we have access to God at any point in time, but in those days, if you wanted access to God, go to the temple. Go to the temple in Jerusalem. That's where God was most active. You want to know where God was least active? You're not going to believe it. It's in the city of Zarephath. You know what is fascinating? And we don't pick it up because we didn't grow up in those days and we don't know geography. But the minute you start doing a little bit of Bible study, it comes up. Zarephath is not located in Israel. Zarephath is not located in Judah. Zarephath is located in the neighboring pagan Canaanite city, uh, uh, country. Oh, it gets better. You want to know who's from Zarephath? Do you want to know who went to high school in Zarephath? You want to know who has cousins living in Zarephath? Queen Jezebel. And her dad is the king in Zarephath. You know what I notice about us? Many of us live our lives striving for comfort, striving for safety, 
striving for happiness. We assume that's the pinnacle. That's the ultimate. And what I want to help you understand is that sometimes, living in the will of God, he will send you to the most uncomfortable place. He will send you to Zarephath. Elijah's trying to hide from Jezebel. And he goes to her hometown. Sometimes the will of God is going to be very uncomfortable. You need to know that. You need to understand that. The other is that who God provides. So in those days, if you had a financial need, you hopefully had a friend that was a businessman or a landowner because they were the ones that had disposable income. You know who you didn't go to? People who don't have money. You want to know who had the least amount of money in town? I kid you not, it was the widows. I actually found it this week. There's one commentator that said that the widows had less money than people that were blind or lame because they could sit on the street and beg and the money they would get from people throwing a couple coins in was more money than widows had to live on. It makes absolutely no sense that God would send Elijah 100 miles away for, for one piece of bread and some water. Certainly there's people between that 100 miles that can provide. Yeah, no, but I need you in Zarephath. And then when you get there, the absolute last person you want to go to is a widow. Which is meant to remind us, don't ever underestimate what God can do through ordinary, available people that are willing to give themselves to God. You you, you don't have to be top dog. You, You don't have to have some title. You don't have to have all kinds of education. You need to be available. You know, Julie came up and talked about this Easter event that we're doing the Saturday before Easter. You want to know what we don't need that day? We don't need the pastor to preach. That would be awkward, wouldn't it? Kids are picking up eggs and I got a bullhorn and I'm preaching. (laughs) You know what we don't need? We don't need Pablo and the worship team to play music. We don't. You want to know what we need? We need available, ordinary people that'll hand out popcorn, that'll put eggs on the, on, the, on the field in between egg hunts, that'll run little games for the kids, that'll hand out bags and talk to parents as they walk through. That's all we need. Don't underestimate what God can do through ordinary, available me and you. It's so important, so important. Now, here's the application point. Remember, how does God provide? He provides through the word of God. And this section, he provides through people like this widow, So here's the application point for you. Do you have a need? Do you have a need? Then swallow your pride and share it with someone. I don't know why it is that sometimes we keep it all to ourselves. I'm not suggesting you share with everybody. But we all have one or two or five people we could share with. Whether it's a financial need or an emotional need or a family need or I'm having problems with my kids' need or whatever it is. Share with your church, share with your friends, share with your small group Bible study. Lean into them and just share and see what happens. We may not always be able to help, but I guarantee you we won't be able to unless you share. One last thing before I move on. Who has God put in your life that God wants you to bless, you to help? Don't be sitting here thinking you don't have something to give and contribute. You do. There are people that you work with, people you go to school with, people that you live right next door, and God has placed you in their life like the widow to Elijah to help them out. 
Don't be ever thinking, don't think ever that you don't have anything to contribute. You do. God's going to work through you and provide to you through the word of God. Number two, through the help of others. Number three, through seemingly illogical obedience. Obedience that doesn't make sense. Now here's the thrust of the story and here's what we read. Elijah says to her, he called to the widow and he asked, would you bring me a little bit of water in a jar so that I can have a drink? Still to this day in the Middle East, the value of hospitality is high. And so yeah, I'll go to the well, I'll get you a little water is basically what happens. Uh, As she's going to get it, Elijah called again and he says, please bring me uh, a piece of bread. Notice he doesn't ask for a steak, uh, mashed potato and roll. Notice he doesn't ask for a Subway sandwich. He asked for a, a piece of bread. One, just a little bit of water and one piece of bread. This next phrase is fascinating. It was after the slides were done that I caught it. Very interesting. As surely as the Lord, your God. He's not our God. He's not my God. He's your God. As surely as your God lives. What is going on here? See, the word's gotten out. See, Elijah marches in to King Ahab and he says, "Uh, because of your idolatrous ways, no rain for three years. How do you think Ahab responded initially? Whatever, punk, get out of here. Yeah, watch, it's gonna rain next week. And then next week and next month and six months roll by and every month that goes by, they're like, oh shoot. And then there's someone in the palace that was standing guard while Elijah spoke to the king and then he shares with his friends. Then they post it on social media. Now it's all over Israel and Sidon. Everyone knows what's happening and why it's happening. You see, there's this God of the Bible, this Yahweh God, represented by Elijah. And because of idolatry, there's going to be no rain. She's heard about it. That's what commentators think is that she's heard about it. And while she still is worshiping Baal and her family, when the prophet Elijah comes up, she has enough sense to say, as surely as the Lord your God lives. Your God is active. Your God is working. Your God shut the rain. Then she says something that seems a little melodramatic to me. As surely as the Lord your God lives, she replied, I don't have any bread, only a handful of flour in a jar and a little olive oil in a jug. And she goes and she adds this. Let's put it on the screen. I am gathering a few sticks. She's going to make a fire to take home and make one last meal for myself and my son that will eat it and die. Is it just me or sound a little melodramatic? But let's also give her a break. What do you think? Don't forget, she's at the bottom of the pile financially. She has the least of anyone. On top of it, she's a widow. She lost her husband six months ago, two years ago. She's on her own. On top of it, she has nothing in the pantry. And you, if you're a parent, you know, it's one thing for you to struggle. It's another thing to watch your kids struggle, especially when you have a responsibility to try and provide for them. She is just pouring her heart out. My life sucks. One meal, and then I don't have anything else. What Elijah says is staggering. Don't be afraid. Starts out good. Give me a hug. Go home, do as you've said, and then he adds, but first, but first, make a small loaf of bread for me from what you have and bring it to me and then make something for yourself and your son. Uh, Excuse me? 
Does this seem a little bit presumptuous? Does this seem a little bit disrespectful? You see, what you need to understand, and, and that should raise a red flag to you, what you need to understand is all commentators are agreed that what's happening here is that Elijah's not speaking for himself. He's speaking for God. He's not representing himself as an individual. He is representing the kingdom. They also say you could replace the word me and replace it with God. And what he's saying is before you take care of your own needs, trust me. I serve the God that has kept it from raining for two years. Trust me. Before you, fill, you, you take care of your needs, give to God first and watch what happens. This is what is known as and what is referred to as the tithe principle. The tithe was a, a command in the Old Testament. It's a principle in the New Testament. Let me wrap up and show you real quick. Look at the back side of your study guide. Four or five things you need to know about tithe and what is going on. First is the timing. The timing. And it's, it is highlighted in this passage. Give to God first. Before you give to PG&A, PG&E, before you, you, you do your car payment to Toyota, before you buy your groceries, give to God first. Don't worry about how much you're going to give yet. Everybody gets all hot and bothered about how much I'm supposed to. Don't worry about that. Even if it's just a little bit, give to God first. 1 Kings eleven seventeen. First, make a small loaf of bread for me. Matthew 6, 33. Seek ye first the kingdom of God. Romans 11. The first fruits is holy. It's special. Proverbs 3, 9. Honor the Lord with the first fruits of your income. Deuteronomy 18. The first fruits of your grain, wine, sheep, and paycheck. Give it to God. I read about this pastor in South America, kind of in the jungle, and he, he leads a couple people to Christ, and, and, and he teaches on this subject of giving and giving to God first. The very next day, one of the fishermen shows up at his door, knocks at the door, and says, Pastor, here's my tithe, and gives him a big fish. And the pastor's like, man, this is incredible that you're applying God's word and everything, and wow, that's fa- fabulous. So I'm just curious. Here's the fish. Where are the other nine? To which the fisherman responds, oh, I haven't caught them yet. They're still in the river. See, that's the concept. Don't wait till you have it all figured out. Don't wait till you have all your income. And that, no, first give to God. Whatever you're going to give him, start with God. Second is the purpose. Why? Why does God want to do this? To remind you that God is first. Deuteronomy 14, 23. The purpose of tithing is to teach you to put God first. See, the issue of finances, money, and giving has nothing to do whether you think Jesus is your savior. It has everything to do whether Jesus is your Lord. Those are two vastly different concepts. Yeah, you're saved. Thumbs up, high five, I love you. The question, is he your Lord? Now comes the obedience part. And well, I just gave you the verse. The next thing God wants to remind us of is that he owns all of it. Psalm 50, verse 9 and 10, I have no need of a bull from your stall or of goats from your pens. Every animal in the forest is mine. All the cattle on a thousand hills are mine. Everything in your garage, mine. Everything in your bank account, mine. Everything in your closet, it's also mine. And what I want you to do is I want you to get into the habit of giving to me just to remind yourself of that. I'm going to give it back to you to enjoy it. Go ahead. But I want to remind you that it's mine. You, certainly you know God doesn't need your money. You don't think he's in heaven going, oh, I sure hope we have a good offering today at Bay Hills. Oh, my I got payroll, I got payroll. <laughs> he doesn't need your money. He doesn't even want it. You want to know what he wants? He wants what it represents. And just, just be honest, unless he has this, he doesn't have you. He doesn't have you. He wants all of you. 
I, I, I think he kind of deserves it based upon what he's provided for us. What do you think? That's the point. What's the plan? You know what? More than anything else, I want you to focus on this and, and on giving to God first. I really don't care about the amount yet. And the emphasis of tithing in Scripture, we get, again, so hot and bothered about the amount when pastors bring it up or when someone brings it up. No, give systematically and regularly. I don't care what you give, but don't be that person that gives today, gives next week, and then you don't give for three months. Or that person that gives this month, but then not. Don't do that. Whatever you give, give systematically and regularly. I don't care how small it is. 2 Corinthians 9 Seven, give what you have decided and thought through in your heart to give. Don't give reluctantly. Don't give emotionally. Don't give out of pressure. By the way, this week, I do it every time I teach on, on finances. Every time. I texted Pablo on Monday, and I said, uh, I looked at the order of service. I was like, nope, move the offering to uh, before the message. I didn't want to have offering after the message. Can you imagine after the message? And the ushers are going to come forward, and we're going to see if God's people obeyed this morning. <laughs> right? Take the checkbook of the person next to you and give like you've always wanted to give. I, you know what? I do, I do my best. I don't want to be the, this pastor who's twisting your arm. So you have a whole week to forget if you want, or ignore me if you want. I don't want to do that to you. Don't, don't give that way. Think it through. If you're given different amounts, different weeks, different months, get rid of that. Whatever you give, it should be the same amount all the time. You've already thought it through. Don't give based upon whether you like the songs or whether Dave had good jokes this morning. Nope. Don't do that. Look at the next one, 1 Corinthians 16. Now, regarding your question about money and offering, follow the same procedure I gave to the church in Galatia on the first day of every week because that's when they would give. Or when, they, when they would earn their income, once a week, once a week, once a week. Now, some of us are paid twice a month. Some of us are paid once a month. Whatever you're paid, that's your starting point. H- however often you're paid, that's the rhythm that, that, that you want to give in. It's, by the way, a couple years ago, we added the app, PushPay, right? Some of you know what that is. It's because most of us, we pay our bills. We don't even, some of us don't even have cash anymore. We don't remember what that's like. We don't carry a checkbook around. One of the easiest ways to give systematically is get, get that app on your, on your phone. And it just, you have to figure it out for you. You got to get into a rhythm for you. But my point is this, systematic, regular, whatever it is, systematic, regular. The next one, let's talk about the amount. Because people get, get, get all concerned about the amount. When it comes to the amount, Old Testament, it was a hard 10%. When you added offerings, it actually went up to, in some cases, 30%. The New Testament says, no, let's get rid of the percentage. Let's talk generosity. Now, I happen to believe that the, that the percentage is a starting point, but let me, let me show you what's going on. I need someone to help me out by show of hands. I'm not going to make you come up on stage or anything. Someone who over, uh, at some point in time in their life, someone show of hands who's worked as a waiter or a waitress. Okay, right, right there. Linda, Linda. You know we like to talk to me during I preach, so now you get to talk, okay? <laughs> Here we go. So let's pretend I go to your restaurant, and it's me and a friend, and we sit down for 30 minutes, 40 minutes. We have a cup of coffee each, and each of us have a croissant, okay? We're there for just a little while, and we're having a good time, and the bill comes to this amount. Let's put it up on the screen. So the bill comes to $15. Could you just yell out, what tip would you be pleased with or satisfied? No, Bob, no, Bob, no. Let her figure it out. 
Go ahead. 15, give me a number. Oh, she's 225. That would be, you would be pleased with 225? Yes. Are you sure? Okay, so what if I did this? Let's put it up there. Yeah. Oh, wow. Huh? What do you think of your pastor now? Huh? Put something on social media about that. Okay, so new scenario. New scenario. Just Linda, not Bob. Just Linda. Okay. I come back the following week. Now it's not just me. Now I bring all the staff, all their significant others, all their kids. There's 30 of us. We have made a reservation. They took three, four tables and they lined them up. The manager has come to you and said, listen, they're going to be here for dinner at 30. So it's going to be you and two other waitresses or waiters. You need to be with them. They're probably going to be here for a couple hours. And in fact, that's, we're there for about two plus hours. And we, uh, we, we all get you know, a soda or something. We get appetizers. We all get a meal. Uh, then we get dessert okay, and a coffee. This time, the bill comes to, let's put it on the screen. That would be about 25 bucks a person, more or less. Uh, how much tip would you like in this situation? Oh, don't calculate it. I don't have that time. Just tell me real quick. 150. So almost 20%, right? Almost 20%, okay? So, yeah, you have to share it, right? 50 bucks for each one of the waiters or waitresses. They, it goes between 10, 15, or 20% is what I'm told. That's what the button just put. So what if this time, however, I gave you this tip? Oh, what do you mean, oh? Huh? You're going to go to Valley Bible next week? What, huh? Well, wait a minute. Time out. Time out. I gave $15 today, and she was happy. $15 next week, and she groaned. Why the difference? We all know instinctively why. Because when you give a tip to a waiter or a waitress that is working their tail off to get fill your drinks and get you a fork that falls on the ground and bring you your plates, it's based upon the total bill and in some cases how long you're sitting there. Right? So it's either 10, 15, or 20, depending on whatever. And do not focus on the amount. Do not focus on the amount. I'm telling you, even though we don't live in Old Testament times, you best think through percentage. Okay, let's go back, let's go back to... Uh, that my, my, my wife and my two daughters that need a car, think about all three of them throwing 100 bucks in offering. My daughter, Julia, is a sophomore in high school, doesn't have a job other than a couple babysitting things here and there. If she threw $100 in offering, do you think that'd be pretty good? Yeah. Oh, my goodness gracious. She's only getting money from grandma and grandpa for Christmas and birthdays. And What about if Jessica threw in 100 Based upon her income, and, you know, that would be more or less. I mean, that would be pretty. She would be... Given fairly generously right there, that'd be pretty good. What if, what if Sandy threw in 100? That's the right side of the screen. You know why? She makes a whole lot more than Jessica and Julia. Does that make sense? But see, if you're sitting here and you're comparing yourself to people around you when it comes to an amount, you're making a mistake. You're making a mistake. Whatever amount you give, think percentage. Think percentage. Figure it out for yourself. Okay, the next one, attitude. God wants us to give cheerfully. I've given you the verse, 2 Corinthians chapter 9, 7, and all kinds of translation. God loves a cheerful giver. He loves people who love to give. He loves it when we delight in giving. He loves it when we give gladly. I've told you sometimes when I've gone to uh, Africa, I love when I go to Africa to teach pastors. 
And one of the things I, I enjoy is going to other cultures and other churches and seeing how, they, how other Christians do church. And they're much more emotional than we are, much more verbal and, and spoken than we are. And what, one of the interesting things is how they do offering, especially in smaller churches. Uh, well, how they do offering is the pastor announces offering, and then somebody comes with a little stool. They put a stool right down there, and they put a big bowl. There's no ushers passing Kentucky Fried Chicken buckets around. No, it's just a, a big bowl right there. It's offering time. And the first thing that happens after the pastor says that, everybody starts clapping. Yeah, offering time. And then people, I kid you not, dance down the aisle and put their money in the bowl. While the pastor's standing right here and they're looking. He could see exactly what you're putting in. They dance down the aisle. Now, we have decided not to do that at Bay Hills, <laughs> mainly because we have a lot of people, uh, white people that can't dance. So we just <laughs> eliminated the bowl, and we just do the ushers. But <laughs> Giving was never meant to be an obligation. If you think of it as an invoice for your salvation, stop giving. Just stop. You're not getting any benefit from it. It was meant to be a privilege. It was meant to be something that you enjoy doing because you see the impact that it has. It's meant to be something that's helpful to you because it recalibrates your mind and your soul. The result, well, it's the whole context of what we're looking at. The result is that God blesses. It's crazy. It, it literally is crazy how this happens, individually and kingdom. This is what the Lord, the God of Israel says. If you give first, Elijah tells her, the jar of flour will not be used up. The jug of oil will not run dry until the day the Lord sends rain to the land. She went away and did as Elijah had told her, which is crazy. She's worshiping a pagan God, but she's like, what the heck, I'm going to try. What the heck, it's some of you. I hear people go, I can't afford to give, and I want to say to you, you can't afford not to. You're missing out on God's blessing. So she went away and did as Elijah had told her. So there was food every day for Elijah and for the woman and her family. For the jar of flour was not used up and the jug of oil did not run dry in keeping with the word of the Lord. My kids have all been into sports. They've all been into the arts. It's come full circle. Next week, my daughter Julia is in a play. Uh, as my younger, uh, younger two had been in plays, uh, my older two had been in plays. And so I, I, I had this time as we're planning next week and trying to figure it all out. Um, I, we would get to, to, to the plays and the performances about 45 minutes early because back in the day that my son and my, my older daughter would, would do the plays, you, you, couldn't res you couldn't reserve seats. So you'd have to get there early and put your jacket down and save it. And so we would do that. We'd go out there 45, 50 minutes early so we could have a decent seat. Well, I remember when we first started doing this. And Julia, right, who is now the tallest in the family, at the time she's this, this big, little round glasses, right? And she's about five, six years old. And we got there 50 minutes early this one day. And I said to Sandy, I said, you go put the jackets down. You go chit-chat. I'm going to be a decent, good dad. I'm going to drive her back to the gas station. And we're going to look at candy and pick one piece of candy. I'm going to just waste time for as long as I can. Then I'm going to bring her back. So that's what I did. Drove her back. She looked at all the candy. And she picked Skittles. I said, give me the Skittles until we get to the gym. And then we'll, so we got to the gym. We got the Skittles. And she's standing there. She goes, Dad, give me my Skittles. So I open the Skittles for her, right? And she starts, she starts eating her Skittles, right? As I'm looking for Sandy, I'm like, where did she put her seats? Where am I sitting? 
I reached over and I grabbed one Skittle. I ate it. As I ate the Skittle, she looked up at me and she said this, Dad, no! (laughs) Fifty people turned around and looked at me as if wondering if there was some um, child abuse going on. And I was like, look away because there's about to be some. (laughs) It was a wonderful opportunity for me to give her a teaching moment. And remind her, who bought the Skittles? To remind her, I have enough money, I could, I could fill your bathtub with Skittles. That's how much I got. To remind her, I, you know what, I want her to enjoy the Skittles. I really do. And to remind her that giving and sharing is part of who we are. Watch. God the Father has given each of you a certain number of Skittles. Some of you have less than this. Some of you have a bucket. Some of you have a wheelbarrow. I don't care how many Skittles God gave you. Could I give you a suggestion? How, how many you have, start by giving the first one to God. Start there. When you do it, do it joyfully. When you do it, do it systematically. Do it regularly. And watch if God blesses you. In Malachi, he says this, I dare you. I dare you to give me your Skittles first and see what I do. Again, I am de-emphasizing the amount this morning and emphasizing give to him first and give to him regular. Give him the same amount, whatever it is, every month, every week. I dare you, he says. Here's what we've learned so far. Let's put it up on the screen, our summary slide. How does God provide? He provides through the word of God. Start reading a chapter a day, two chapters a day. See what happens. Number two, through the help of others. Share your need. Number three, through seemingly illogical obedience. Try giving, see what happens. Let's stand, we'll close in a word of prayer. And I will give these Skittles to my daughter sitting in row number two. I know she's eyeing them up. Father, we're thankful for your word. We're thankful for this widow who just did something crazy, something crazy. Regardless, Father, many of us have walked in here today with needs. And Father, we desperately need you to help us out. We need you to provide for us. In the Hebrew, you are sometimes called Jehovah Jireh, the God who provides, and we believe that about you. We believe that you might um, meet our needs in ways that are surprising and unusual, But in the meantime, we're going to trust you, we're going to obey you, and see what happens. We love you, we pray this all in Jesus' name, and all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Have a great week, Bay Hills.